You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about clinician well-being. Joining me is Bridget Garmisa, who's a nurse practitioner at Carabot's Pediatric Care Center in West Philadelphia, a CHOP Care Network primary care practice. She is also an APP well-being program lead and clinical leader expert for advanced practice providers. Welcome to the podcast, Bridget. Thanks, Katie. Happy to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk about this topic with you because we hear the phrase clinician well-being used so often now, and many major organizations, including our own, have identified this as an area of focus or have created committees and leadership roles to address this. So before we even talk about how we study well-being or aim to improve well-being, I'm hoping you can just help us define it. What does this mean? Sure. There are are actually a few different ways to define it. Broadly, well-being is personal and contextual and changes over time. For example, a feeling of well-being in your personal life on a day off filled with activities that support your personal resilience is a far different experience than well-being in your workday, which, for example, may include joyful moments of connection with patients or an EMR that's supporting your efficiency and your team members are collaborating well. In a more definitive answer to that question, there is an actual definition that we like to follow. The National Wellness Institute does define it as a conscious, self-directed, and evolving process of achieving full potential, Mm. an active process through which people become aware of or make choices towards a more successful existence. So that's sort of broad, but the thing that I really like about this definition is it captures how broad the well-being scope is, as well as the concepts that it's contextual and evolving. Mm, I also like the active piece, right? Like we need to be involved in our own well-being. This isn't something that others can bestow upon you. So we're going to talk a little bit about how we can be active in improving our well-being too. But Before we do that, I'm wondering how well-being differs from burnout, which is another term that we hear used all of the time. So can you help us define that and discuss the differences between a focus on well-being versus burnout? Sure. In an occupational sense, burnout is a phenomenon that results from chronic stress in the workplace. In scientific literature, this concept originated in the late 70s from a researcher named Christina Maslach, who really helped bring into concept the modern definition with its three dimensions. So emotional exhaustion, cynicism, or that decreased sense of personal accomplishment, and inefficiency, which is that depersonalization of yourself from your work. Research has evolved over time. There are varying conceptual models and drivers, but overall, it's a result of that chronic stress that one might experience at work. And I think I might know the answer to this, but why are we talking so much about burnout now? And why are institutions and health systems talking about and caring about burnout as much as they are? 
So burnout has been studied in a varying healthcare roles, physicians and nurses most extensively. And what we know about burnout is that it's associated with adverse safety offense. It's more costly both to the institution and to the patients and families that we serve. There's a decreased clinical efficiency of practice. So for example, a physician may order a more extensive workup than necessary. Nursing colleagues might not bundle care in an efficient way. Mm. We know that burnout also is associated with inefficiency of clinicians. So for example, providers may be pulled for administrative tasks or tasked with things sort of out of the scope of their license. We also know from a labor cost standpoint that burnout's associated with increased cost of turnover. So the cost of training and engaging employees is higher in burnout populations. Right. That makes sense. And that is a lot of what we saw during the pandemic, particularly around clinician burnout when systems were stretched. So I'm wondering, what are some of the other drivers of burnout and things that we know contribute to burnout? Well, we know that it's a complex syndrome, so there are likely multiple drivers. From an organizational standpoint in psychology literature, you'll often see themes around workload, so that stuff that you need to get done in a workday, mm-hmm. control, which is you know the input you have and how your workday goes, rewards, which are you know both extrinsic, so salary and positive feedback from coworkers or patients and families, those joy sparkers that keep you going, but also that intrinsic feeling of helping others. There's also a community component to drivers of burnout. So how does your work unit or your area influence how you feel at work? And then there's also some interesting information about fairness and values. So do you perceive what you do as similar to someone in your role? Do you perceive that others are treated fairly in your workplace? And do your values mesh with those of your team and in your institution? Joy sparkers. I really like that term. I'm going to steal that one. That's a great one. So I'm wondering, do we see varying degrees of burnout in different types of clinical providers? I'm wondering specifically, are some roles at higher risk for burnout? So this is a great question and one that's very much evolving in the literature as burnout and well-being are coming into more people's view. So the evidence overall points us to yes, we know our physician colleagues are more burned out when compared to non-medical counterparts. We know that our nursing colleagues experience very high levels of burnout. In the APP roles, the evidence is still emerging. We might need to do a follow-up episode in the spring after I work through some research that I'm doing. (laughs) Love that. Um, When we consider work areas, we know emergency medicine and ICU care are comparatively higher Mm. than in roles with less acuity and more predictability in their workday and in their schedule. Mm -hmm. And we do know there's some emerging research from COVID that demonstrate those on the front lines. And by front lines, I mean an entry point into the healthcare system. So emergency medicine, primary care, our ICUs have been significantly impacted by burnout. Mm So related to that then and those joy sparkers that you mentioned, what are some of the ways that we can help mitigate burnout and promote well-being? Since these concepts can sometimes feel a bit nebulous, I find it helpful to consider improvements in both areas with a well-known occupational framework that was developed at Stanford. And we organize well-being into three main areas of work or improvement. 
The first would be our culture of wellness. So that's those organization and the interpersonal factors that influence your well-being at work. So some examples of that would be support for work-life integration, leadership or mentoring opportunities that are available to you, and interpersonal team dynamics. The second main area would be those personal resilience factors. So what are those practices that promote your own well-being, whether it's sleep, hydration, exercise, what brings you joy and helps make your work most meaningful to you? And then the third component is your ease of daily work. And those are strongly influenced by your organization. So your relationship with the EMR, that pesky printer that's always jammed, (laughs) um, or staffing models that don't support the volume of work that you need to do. I've never seen a printer that's always jammed. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about what CHOP is doing to address burnout and promote well-being. So CHOP leadership has really recognized the role that an organization plays in its employees' well-being and is really working to build an infrastructure that supports the entire healthcare team. We have a chief well-being officer, Dr. Miriam Stewart, who leads us in this work. In the last few months, she and three program managers have launched the Office of Employee Wellbeing, which supports all the employees here at CHOP. Specific to clinicians, there are identified program leaders and well-being champion networks across the enterprise that are being built. And well-being champions are really the grassroots organizers and really impactful on that local level change. And program leaders like myself serve to support the network of well-being champions, but also bring enterprise-wide initiatives to larger work areas in a more meaningful way. Yeah, I love how much we've built up this leadership team over the past few years and definitely since I started. And I think the outcome has been, even for me personally, an increased sense of well-being. So I appreciate what everyone on that team is doing here. I'm wondering, in your role as an advanced practice provider, Why do you think it's important that we focus on well-being within your profession? So overall, I think healthcare is a team sport, and we all influence each other's experience and overall well-being every day. Advanced practice providers, so that term we use to define nurse practitioners, physician assistants, clinical nurse specialists, midwives, and CRNAs, are a unique and very quickly growing group. NPs and PAs are two of the fastest growing professions in the United States. And we know, as you and um, Dr. Fix discussed at the Future of Pediatrics episode, that we're facing unprecedented shortages in pediatrics Mm -hmm. and in primary care. So the APP role is going to be increasingly used to fill those shortages. There's excellent evidence that supports the role of APPs in providing high-quality, cost-effective care and expanding patient access to care. And we know that those in rural areas and children of color are disproportionately affected by these shortages. So APPs are really going to be able to step in and support those populations. That's great. And as you mentioned, the research on burnout among advanced practice providers is still lacking and something I know that you're looking into. But I think even more important why we have a role like yours is that we we don't want burnout to be as high as it might be in some of the other fields that you mentioned. And anything that we can do proactively as this field is growing to mitigate burnout and promote well-being is important. So how might APP well-being initiatives help mitigate some of the burnout among clinicians in a primary care setting? So we're all interrelated and influence each other. 
And many APPs have diverse work experiences and unique skill sets that contribute in valuable ways, both clinically to our patients, but also interprofessionally. So shared conversations between physicians and APPs can really provide valuable insight and perspective to drivers of burnout and well-being among clinical teams. So we've been talking about well-being initiatives and burnout at sort of the macroscopic level, but I'm wondering as an individual, if I was experiencing burnout and listening to this podcast, I might wonder about how I could improve my own well-being. And I'm wondering if you have any tangible first steps that somebody could take so that they can improve their well-being and find those joy sparks in their day. There's a few things that I'd recommend. One is building time for a pause within the day to reflect on what went well or what felt good about the day. I also think gratitude, so finding time to express gratitude to team members is also an important component of well-being. And I also think creating a culture to take a pause midday in patient care is really important to supporting teams' well-being. Those are great tips. I always remember my first job, which was not in medicine, but at a bead store. And every day before my boss left, she would tell all of us what a great job we did and how grateful she was for us. And I thought it was just such a nice moment for her, even though sometimes she might have been scolding us about something we did, but the way that she ended with some gratitude for the work even though the work felt small, was really important. Something I try to remember to show gratitude for my teams. And so I love that you've built that in too. So what are some of your top takeaways for primary care providers about clinician well-being? So the first would be identify or connect with a well-being champion for your work group. So if you're at CHOP, there's a committee that meets monthly for primary care clinicians where we discuss well-being and how we can improve our well-being while we're at work. If you're outside of CHOP, I'd consider creating a network of interested people that can begin to address practice-specific drivers of burnout or well-being in your work area. I devote time to meet regularly, so discussing the pebbles in your shoes, that pesky printer, but also celebrating the small wins and sparks of joy that you've encountered in your workday. Measuring progress would be another important takeaway. So as we've discussed, sometimes these concepts can feel hard to measure or define, and using survey tools or improvement frameworks is an excellent way to give objective feedback to both your group or leaders. But perhaps the most important point, I think, as a takeaway would be to remember the impact. So when finding personal or organizational strategies to improve burnout and well-being, the ultimate reward is knowing Our patients and families benefit from providers that are caring for themselves and for institutions that are caring for their providers and healthcare teams. And for many, this is the reason why we began a career in medicine, our ultimate why of helping people. Those are all really great points. Thank you for everything that you've taught us today and for all of the important work that you're doing at CHOP. I have learned a lot from you today, and it certainly sparked joy for me. So thank you for being here on the podcast. Thanks, Katie. Always a pleasure. Be well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.